Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie. Welcome back to our weekly podcast. Hope everyone is doing fine and you're living and you're learning and we're moving forward as a community. We're going to be talking about a lot of interesting things today around the topic of siblings, sibling rivalry, siblings, should they exist? What do you do with one if you don't want one? And how do you get one if you do want one? But we're going to talk to an expert who has really done a lot of work and understanding of this and the interactions and the meanings and how parents kind of deal with it because, you know, at the end of the day, you could have two different children, obviously you will genetically, and you're going to maybe like one more than the other. And does that make any difference between the siblings? And do they pick that up? And does that create the rivalry? So we're going to get a lot of answers to a lot of these kinds of questions. one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. Give me a call. I want your thoughts. I want to know what you think about siblings. Joining me today to talk about siblings and all of the little tangled webs that come around them is Dr. Avidan Malevsky. He's from some place that most people would say, like, where and how do you even know to say that name? But I grew up in the town next to it. He is from Kutztown University in Pennsylvania. My hometown is not too far, about 10 miles from there. He's a psychotherapist, well-sprung counseling in Townsend, Maryland. He serves as the director of the Center of Parenting Research and he's going to talk about a whole bunch of things about himself. I'll ask him all about himself, but I really want to welcome you. Are you there, Dr. Yes, Maletsky? thank you very much. How is Kutztown? It's Kutztown, yeah. I'm glad you're from the area. Not too people know uh, about Kutztown, so it's always great to hear about someone who knows that area. Yeah, the horse and the buggies and all that stuff. Yeah, all the good stuff. Yes. How's the weather there? Uh, actually, right now, we're, I'm talking from Florida, so down here it's nice. Uh, we're, we got away for the weekend, but up there, not too good, which is why I'm here. That's right. That's why I'm here. <laughs> So welcome. We're going to be talking about siblings today and rivalry and those kinds of things. I mean, tell me, what is basically the work that you've done to get a better understanding of this whole so issue? So my main area of, of interest uh, within the various different areas of siblings is primarily what parents can do to enhance the sibling relationships. The research on the benefits of having a close sibling bond uh, is 20, 30 years already. And, and those studies do show that those who have a close sibling bond benefits throughout the lifespan so we're talking individuals who have a close sibling bond are scoring lower on depression higher on self-esteem less loneliness uh higher life satisfaction throughout life so working early on parents working early on on establishing those close sibling bonds when the kids are young it's a benefit that really could last 80 years considering the closeness and age between siblings and how long that relationship could last okay so how do they do that so there, there are two primary ways in which you think of what parents can do to enhance the sibling bond. There's what I call indirect ways, which are things like what kind of family atmosphere uh, do you set up in your, your house? Um, what kind of messages are your kids getting in terms of how to deal with disputes? Right? One of the first places that children learn about how to deal with fighting is with siblings. And they learn how to actually engage siblings through how they see you fight with your spouse, with your significant other. And Right, there are different styles of how individuals get into in arguments with significant others. And do they do they fight? Do they yell? Do they try to compromise? Do they negotiate? So ultimately, this indirect way is a way in which siblings look at parents and use them as models. And through that, and how you establish the overall warmth at home, that's going to relate to siblings also being closer to one another. Okay. Then you have also the more direct well, ways. Wait, wait, one minute. I yeah. just want to go through the first one. So you're Absolutely. saying really the way that parents role model, 
they're they're arguing, but then if and when and hopefully they do get to a conflict resolution process, that's the modeling and the template siblings exactly. will learn. When I from. work with, with with families in my practice, I actually encourage parents to fight a little bit in front of your kids. So I know back in the previous generation there was a whole mentality of the kids can't see any kind of relationship that exists between the parents. We shouldn't hug, we shouldn't kiss in front of them, we shouldn't fight in front of them. That's really the older way of looking at things. The more modern or more current ways, which is substantiated by research, is that you should allow for some fighting between spouses and significant other in front of the kids, especially if you know that you can manage. It's obviously you don't want to have uh, all-out arguments and shouting matches with your significant other in front of your kids because they're going to learn a specific way of arguing, which is not necessarily healthy. But if you know that you have a healthy way of communicating and arguing, quote, with your significant other, do a little, a little bit of that in front of your kids so they see how you actually have open communication, talking about the issue, not about things like you always do this or you never do this. These are kinds of arguments that we yell at one another that don't really have any type of resolution. So if kids see open communication between significant, the, the mother and father, then they themselves learn how to employ some of those things when they fight with their uh, siblings, and that ultimately helps them find a resolution and enhances the sibling bond. Okay, got it. So what's number two then? Now, number two is more of the direct things. The direct things are primarily in two ways. Number one is how do you intervene when your children fight? The way parents engage their children when they fight is in a, in a very com- considerable way going to uh, associate with what kind of relationship they're going to have. Now, there are primarily three ways in which studies show that there are three ways in which parents engage their children when they're fighting. Okay. Number one are those who swoop in and take care of the problem. So like a squat team, they swoop in, you go to this room, you go to that room, don't talk to each other. That's, number, that's the, what we consider the intervention style. They just swoop in, take care of the problem. The second type are those who... Uh, avoid the problem. Go talk to your dad. Go talk to your mom. Don't, don't bother me with this. Right? Those are the non-involvement parents. Okay. Also, not necessarily an effective way. The third way, which is the most effective, particularly with younger kids, is what is known as coaching. You actually get down on their level and you teach them a conflict, conflict resolution. Okay, hang on one second. You tell me what happened. Right? So you're sitting in the living room and you're enjoying your magazine and suddenly you will hear a smack from the bedroom. One sibling hits the other one. Right? You go in there and you actually find out, number one, what happened here. You ask one of them what happened, recount to me the story. Don't let the other one jump in and say, that's not true, he's lying. Right, right, you're naturally right. going to do that. Let them each recount the story. Then... What other ways could you have dealt with this problem? So, basically teaching basic, simple conflict resolution. Got it. And again, so, you're not going to do it once, and it's going to cure the whole problem. But if over time you're engaging in conflict resolution teaching with them, in the long run, they're going to have a very, very strong bond throughout life. Got it. So really, you're role modeling conflict resolution, arguing with your spouse appropriately, giving them the ways to resolve it right there while it's happening when you jump into one of their arguments. Exactly. And it's a, it's a one-two punch, right? Number one is you're modeling it, so it's like an indirect way. But and then you're actually teaching them by talking to them throughout a fight to navigate through the process to reach some kind of conflict resolution. Got it. Let's take a caller. You are Brittany. Hi. Yes, I am Brittany. Welcome. You're, you're on with Dr. Malevsky and myself. What do you have about siblings? So I was wondering, do parents play a role in their children's relationships long-term? By that I mean, can a parent keep trying to help their siblings get along as they get older, or now as an adult, do you think it's appropriate for them to handle it and their parents stay out of it? That's a great question. That is a really good question. Take it. 
So it's, a, it's amazing. There's a several studies that exactly look at that particular question. When we talk about coaching children, it primarily works early in life. So kids are, the, the cutoff line is hard to tell, but more or less 12, 13. Up to that point, they still learn, need to learn how to argue. But what studies are showing, which is a little bit uh, interesting when you actually find these, look at this data, is that when parents try to do coaching once kids reach the high school years, there you find the inverse relationship between that well, engagement and a positive relationship. But so why? It why? Like teenagers, it seems like teenagers, at that point, you hope that they learned how to negotiate through arguments. And now it's time to let them swim, right? You teach them how to swim a little bit, and then you let go and let them do it themselves. The time to do that is when they hit the adolescent years. And now when you hear a fight, you obviously set some ground rules, right? So these are the cutoff lines, or these are the things that you absolutely cannot do. There's no uh, hitting. There's no uh, punching, right? Okay. Okay. Basic guidelines that you but in wait, there. wait a minute. I let them go on their own. Okay. So you're saying laying the groundwork is kind of a positive thing, and it, it really takes effect up until they're in high school when their hormones are kicking in. Right. So first of all, they reach a point where they've developed a cognitive maturity to employ some of these things that you've been but, teaching them throughout. But what if somebody doesn't understand what cognitive maturity stands for or means? Right. Overall, developmental psychology tells us that at 12, 13, right. there's a major shift in the thinking process of, of, of teenagers. Right? So there are many, many changes that happen in the life of teenagers. One of them, a considerable one, is that they develop a greater way of thinking at in terms of what's called perspective taking. So you ask a 10-year-old to take the perspective of someone else, they may have a very tough time doing that. When kids reach 12, 13, 14, they begin to slowly have that ability, the thinking process, to listen to what someone else is saying, or how would you okay. feel if they were, you were in their shoes? Okay, time out, though. Does that mean, and how, I guess, how does that correlate to sympathy and empathy building? So it's a major uh, part of life during those adolescent years to slowly develop empathy. So uh, unfortunately, obviously, there are personality components to it as well. So uh, even as adults, you're going to have uh, variations in terms of empathy. But overall, if you look at the averages, there, there is definitely a major jump during those adolescent years in the ability to empathize. And throw that with the new thinking process, with, which is a crucial with, the fact that you train them during their early childhood years how to fight, then it's a trifecta. You reach those adolescent years and they could throw all these things together and now they have their own ability of negotiating sibling disputes so they have their own toolbox exactly okay yeah. but what given you've given them that toolbox right i recently i was giving a parenting workshop and parents come up to me later they know i'm going to give them a 20 second response i got a whole line of people waiting and they're telling me about their adolescent uh, children who are fighting to a degree where one of them threw a knife at the other one and can you please give me 20 seconds advice about what to do now it's hard to reach a point where it's gotten to such a deteriorating degree during the adolescent years where now you want to try to look well uh, the doctor said i should let them do it themselves it's given that you've worked throughout the childhood years to really build the ability to negotiate now when they reach the adolescent years they have the ability to swim on their own okay so what are we telling Brittany though is it too late if it wasn't done or keep trying don't try so parents stay out of it there's, there's an ideal and then obviously we, we believe that part of psychology the whole concept of psychology is that we believe in intervention and we believe that we continue developing throughout life 
literally the whole concept of lifespan developmental psychology is that uh, maturity and growth could continue throughout life. So, yes, ideally you want to have that kind of environment early on in life. Okay. But if you reach adolescence or if you're already uh, a bit older and your kids are, let's say, young adults and they're having difficulties, there are obviously intervention ways of swooping in and helping that negotiation process very often will require some outside help. But, again, the ideal situation is having that home environment. And if not, and if it's very, very destructive during the young adult years, I'm not saying give up on it, but it definitely may require a bit more intervention to really get it back on track. Because if it's done, again, a sibling relationship could last up until death. And when it's there, it's amazing the number of advantages that you get throughout life during the middle age years, during the golden years, uh, transition into older years. Successful aging is served better if you have a close sibling bond. So it's definitely worth putting in the effort in it. Got it. Okay, so Brittany, what he's really saying here is it's never too late. Hopefully they did lay the foundation, but if they didn't, it's, again, never too late. Keep doing it, and they should be involved. Are you a sibling, or are you a parent who's asking this question? I'm a sibling who's asking. I'm having some problems with my brother, and I just I feel like I should handle the situation with him rather than my parents keep trying to meddle in and control the situation. I just don't know. Well, have you talked to them about their trusting of your capability? Yes, but I think that they just love us so much that they want to come in and, and make everything right rather than us just hashing it out. Yeah, I mean, your brother should have the same capable skills because you learned them hopefully in the same environment he did, right, doctor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, Brittany, what, what would be your plan if, let's say, your parents say, yeah, you know what, we're going to step back. What would you do to try to enhance this bond with your brother? I just think talking it out and getting down to the root of the problem rather than just yelling at each other or being emotional exactly that's very true so is that a good plan yeah have you been trying that i have been i just feel like your parents every, my, our, my, our parents keep trying to make it better rather than us just yeah. trying to make it better. i mean i think it's really good if you could tell them you know out of the kindness of your heart i know you're trying but like don't meddle we got the tools you did a great job helping us learn how to resolve conflicts sit back and watch and be proud okay all right. That's great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brittany. Good luck with that. Thank you. I guess that's a pretty common thing, huh? That sure, question. You reach uh, the, the young adult years, and you, you're beyond a lot of these issues growing up and childhood years and adolescent years, and you reach a point where you really want to try to reconnect with a sibling. Uh, I get these calls all the time of young adults, uh, people in their 20s and their 30s, I want to reconnect. But one of the reasons why they've reached this point during young adulthood with this kind of destructive relationship is very often connected with how parents dealt with things throughout growing up. And right. now they've got to reconstruct certain things in certain ways. Right. And there's definitely things that could be done to enhance the relationship at this point. It's never too late. Right. Okay. That's good to know because I think parents who are going to be listening to this, siblings who are going to be listening to this, don't want to lose hope. They want to feel that it's never too late to be able to learn how to negotiate, navigate, and resolve conflicts. Absolutely. I recently received a call from someone who had a very similar situation, and I very plainly simply asked, what would happen if you would call your brother and invite him out to coffee, go out to Starbucks and sit down for a coffee and just have that negotiation? Like, oh, wow, that's a good idea. Right? You could do that without having your parents intervene. Just sit down, have that open, honest exchange over a cup of coffee. It does wonders. Absolutely. Let's take a voicemail. Dr. Sophie, uh, my name is Brian from Santa Monica. My wife and I are wondering if, in your experience, you find that children with siblings are happier on average. Thanks a lot for your time. You know, that's a really good question. So many people, and I'm sure you get asked this too, you know, we really don't know if we should have a second child, but we feel bad or he'll be an only child or she'll be an only child, and, you know, it's so lonely. And then they have another child, and it throws off a lot. 
What do you think? In terms of the word happiness, which the, the, the caller put in there, it's a bit hard to define or measure happiness, but what you definitely do find is that children who do have siblings, and it's got to be a close sibling bond, they're scoring much higher in life satisfaction throughout life. So yeah, but you very just, often people associate life satisfaction with happiness, right. and it does make a difference. But you just said a really key point. You need to have that piece there that says they have a close sibling bond. Exactly. And if parents don't think through and how they're going to navigate raising these children, whether it's two or three or four, the bond isn't going to be there and it's going to be, you know, worthless. Right. Just throwing a sibling into the picture because um, my my only child needs a brother or sister, that's not going to do it. You have the tools, as you're saying, or are you committed to really investing on not just throwing a kid into the family and another one, but actually working on all these ways that we know work in terms of enhancing that bond. And if it's close, that's where you find these profound benefits. Okay, because you can't really make something happen if it ain't going to happen. For sure. Whether you have yeah, one kid and, and or two kids. Because if people think that a close sibling bond just happens uh, just by the fact that they're together, uh, so things are actually working against us. Think about you have to share and you're, you're competing uh, for, for parental attention sometimes and comparisons and things like that. So there are many, many variables that would actually make the sibling relationship negative. So things at the get-go are against us unless we're committed to really working on enhancing that relationship. Studies show that it works. Okay, one more question, and then I'm going to let you tell me us about you, and then I'll let you go. But what do you say to a parent who says, you know, how do I praise my one child in front of the other without them feeling slighted, shunned, or yeah, that, less that's than? a big, big question. And the bottom line is, in terms of parental favoritism, kids pick up on it at a very, very young yeah. And, and we have to be very, very careful with that. And what do you do? What, yeah, what, what I encourage parents to do is that very often what happens, and the literature refers to it as de-identification. Children what does that mean? want to de-identify, to be a little, have their own identity in comparison to their sibling. And sometimes we can help that process, and it's actually a healthy process. So if the older child is known to be, I don't know, the academic one or the one who does this in an exceptional way, find what the second child is good at and make sure they get praise on their thing. So their strengths. Very often uh, ch- children may hear a compliment coming towards their sibling, and they feel bad about it if they don't get it themselves. So we have to be very careful to make sure that when I'm praising one for this exceptional thing that they're good at, make sure you're diversifying the praise in an appropriate way. Because if you mismatch it or if there's a misbalance there, siblings pick up on it. And it is a major, major factor in having destructive sibling relationships. So diversify the love in a very careful way. Okay. And I know I said this before. Just This is my last question. What do you say to a parent who's honest enough with you and says, you know what, I really I don't like my kid? It happens. We don't like to say it. But the bottom line is, for various reasons, either one kid reminds me of myself too much, or there's a difficult right. position that the kid has. There's or that has mirror thing they hold up. It's going to happen. Well, the bottom line is, what's in your heart doesn't have to play a role in your life. How do you right? do that? The bottom line is, if you manage your behaviors appropriately, because what the kids see is not what's in your heart or in your thinking process. Your kids see what behaviors you engage in. Right. Make sure that the behaviors you engage in don't show that favoritism. What's in your mind you don't have to believe everything you think okay i got it so tell me about you where we find you and why you know so, so much as you said i'm a, I'm a professor at kutztown university and i'm a, a private practice at wellspring counseling in in maryland in baltimore uh you could find me i have a psychology today blog on siblings if you go to the psychology uh, website you go on the sibling blog list it's over there i also have a website avidanmilevsky.com i'm on twitter as, as well if you uh, friend me, connect with me, I send out uh, briefs about different kind of studies that we do about siblings, 
uh, primarily coming from the Center for Parenting Research, which I direct at Kutztown University. All right. We'll be tweeting you today. That sounds good. Thank you. Enjoy Florida. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was a lot of information in a little bit of time, but really helpful information about siblings, parents, how to do it, how to not do it, and how to repair it if you didn't do it really like you thought you should have. But the bottom line is that there are some really key issues I want you to take away from this podcast and then write into me, call into me, email, Twitter, whatever it is, because there's a ton of questions that are going to come up from this. But as far as siblings go, and you're the parent and you're trying to figure this out, the earlier you intervene, we learned today, the better it is. And intervene means the way that you teach your children to handle their siblings is how you handle your spouse or partner. So remember that. You got to argue healthy. You got to resolve your conflicts and you got to be able to show that you use words and you use healthy adult communication skills that are respectful with your partner. And that is the template and role model for your child to deal with anybody, especially their sibling, which is a lifelong relationship that can be great if it starts out really great. One of the key things, though, is to remember also it's never too late to intervene and show your child how to do it. So if you've had a couple years of dysfunction between you and your partner, your husband, your wife, or the kids aren't getting along and you haven't seemed to make any headway, it's never too late to teach them conflict resolution skills and tools. But you have to know them first. So start with you and then teach them and role model it, and it's never too late. And then I think it's also important to understand that No two siblings are going to be the same. You're not going to feel the same way about your children as you do from one to the other. One, you might get along better about this, and the other, you might get along better about something else. That is okay. But the behavior is what speaks to your children. So consistency in your behavior is what's going to send them the message that they need to be respectful no matter how they feel, no matter what they say, or how they end up arguing. It has to be resolved. So early is better. It's never too late. And allow your child to be able to become an independent person because from your siblings, you're going to have that feeling that if I compliment my one son, my other child's going to feel bad. That's all okay. We've heard from our experts today. That is okay. You compliment your children and you support your children just like you would anybody else on their strengths. What is great about that child? So if you're telling one son, wow, you had a great report card That doesn't mean the other child who didn't have that great report card doesn't have a really great social skill or a creative skill or some other project that they've done. So you find the strength of each child and you pull it out, you compliment it, you put the spotlight on it, and that's what's going to keep siblings from feeling one is liked or loved more than the other. My new phone app is out and available. Go grab it off the iTunes store in the app store. It's called On Call Live. So grab it. It's free, and you get to talk with me and learn a lot about these topics and reach out to me. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook. TV appearances, anything that's coming up, you'll learn it there. My book, Side by Side, The Revolutionary Mother-Daughter Conflict, free program for good communication is out there. Grab it. It's also on my phone app. It's also on Barnes & Noble and all those kinds of things. Visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And most importantly, don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey, you gotta keep your head